turn my mic on now. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. I'm Travis Shaddix. I'm hoping, hope you're having a good day. I am. It's a little cold here in Kentucky, but this is the, one of my favorite parts of the year, times of the year, the fall. It's a uh, turf growing season for at least another couple of weeks. Fall, Halloween, my family celebrates Halloween, Halloween like crazy. It's one of our favorite um, holidays. When I was younger, I wasn't allowed to celebrate Halloween, which maybe I'll go into at some point in the future. But my kids, they put away their Halloween stuff, you know, and start looking forward to next year almost immediately. So we enjoy that. And then comes Thanksgiving. It's all a good time of year. I have a few things I'm going to go over today. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I'm going to tread carefully. But first, an update on some of what's going on with my personal stuff. Some people have asked about, well, one person asked about my son. We had a, his first math competition was yesterday and the other team chickened out. They were scared. They didn't want to fight. <laughs> they didn't want to, they didn't want to compete. Um, no, the other, the other school, I guess, didn't have enough students or wasn't prepared or whatever. And they weren't able to come and do the math competition. They're called mathletes. Now, I guess I should have known. I haven't heard that term before, but it makes sense. Mathletes. So instead of doing competition, they did, uh, some practice yesterday. Glad to see that going on. Then we have 15 mathletes here at Hayes Middle School in Lexington. So hopefully we do well this year. Yesterday I had to go to, um, I'm here by myself taking care of two kids and they have two different schedules. So I had to pick up my son from math and then race to the ice skating rink. My daughter and son both do a fair amount of ice skating. We're doing a, uh, play this year, the Nutcracker on Ice. We did it last year too, but it requires regular practice. And so I had to race over there, get them into practice, get her into practice. And then I, I didn't have time for dinner, so I had to go buy Panera. And I'm going to use this as an example of why I, um, I, I, I'm okay with any lawn care company. I tend to f favor or migrate towards the smaller companies. And I'm going to use this as an example, maybe to explain a little bit as to why. Um, I went into Panera and my son likes to have those, uh, uh, what's the name? The cinnamon crunch bagels. My daughter likes the everything bagels. So we went in like at seven. It wasn't late. Maybe it was, yeah, around seven. And they had the display and over on the racks where the bread was, I guess, cooling or whatever the case was they had like newer made breads and stuff like that and my son said oh here's my cinnamon crunch on the rack and my daughter said oh here's my everything bagel over here too I said okay so i went to the register and i said um i'd like to have an everything bagel and a cinnamon crunch bagel and they said oh we don't we don't have any we only have what's in the display and i was like oh and they didn't have they didn't have any in the display and so, and I swear if I'm lying, I'm dying. You can ask my wife this. This happens to me once a year for like the last 20 years. I don't know how I get into these situations, but he said they didn't have any. And I, and I thought, well, wait, there's one over there on the rack. And he goes, no, no, no. Those are for the display for tomorrow morning. 
And I thought, <laughs> what, what, is that, what does that mean? Like, you made them to sell. I'm a customer here to buy them. Why just pick it up and, and sell it to me? I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. Well, those are for tomorrow morning. Well, I'm here now. I mean, they, Panera doesn't close till like 10 o'clock, you know? So some, there's something strange about that. And it's a big company, right? And so I, and when I was driving and I, le I left, I was like, well, okay, I'm not going to, not going to spend my money here if, if you're not going to sell me, you know, an item that I'm literally looking at, you know, six feet away because you have it scheduled for tomorrow or whatever. And I was driving home and I was thinking, that's one reason why I like small, small, I like all companies, but one reason why I like smaller companies is because I bet money that if you're on your routine, if you're an owner operator and you got yourself and one other guy or two other guys, whatever, and you're going around in your routines, you know, for the, for the fall and you have your set clients and you're doing your normal applications, right? You got your contracts or you got, however you deal with your money, you got, you got everything scheduled. And some lady across, you know, you're doing an application to a lawn and some lady next door who you don't have as a client comes up to you and says, hey, I see you have some product and some application equipment. Can you come in and apply it to my lawn? I bet money you would say yes. <laughs> of course I can. Even though it's not on your schedule for that day, you'd probably say, yeah, let me finish this lawn. I'll write you up a contract or I'll do a one, one off and charge you however you want to do it. You would find a way to make that money to supply that person with what they're asking for you wouldn't say well i got it on my truck but i can't do it i can't apply it to you i can't do that to, today or i can't you know i can't do it at all i have to wait you have to wait till next month i mean you owner operators smaller companies understand you know money in versus money you know you don't have someone sitting at the front of your and your you know with a large company let's take you know abc lawn care whatever where they're dealing with you know, 400 employees and the employees set on a schedule, he's going to say, well, no, I can't do that. Well, meanwhile, it's lost revenue. That's lost money. I don't, I don't understand. So shame on you, Panera. If anybody from Panera is listening, the owners or whoever the board is, when a customer comes in and wants to buy a product in your company, in your, you know, restaurant, sell it to them. <laughs> I don't understand. You know, it's, it's just bizarre to me. These large companies sometimes lose sight of, you know, what we're there for to service the customers. So anyway, that's my, that's my Panera story from yesterday. I just thought it was strange. I had a, uh, consultation yesterday with a lawn care operator in North Carolina. By the way, I always keep forgetting. If you want to have a talk with me privately, you can go to calendly.com slash Travis Shaddix and you can set up a time. You can see my schedule and book a time. There is a fee. Um, but the good news is, is that yesterday Calendly messed up the, the financial transaction and yesterday's, um, consultation for that guy, he doesn't know it yet, but that, but the consultation yesterday in North Carolina was free. It, he, he, he did his thing. He did his part correctly, but Calendly messed up. And so he's not going to get charged. So you might go on to Calendly.com, Travis Shaddix and set up a consultation with me and get it for free. You never know. So, um, consider that if you're ever interested. I have um, a video at the very end of today's uh, podcast that I'm going to just just um, show a brief part of today, and I'm going to do that with the hopes that I'm able to contact the person, and I'm going to ask for a little bit of help from you all to maybe I don't I don't know who it is, 
um, maybe just reach out to him and see if I can get a hold of him to help um, inform him of some information that he has. Uh, I, I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say it's information that he has unknowingly misunderstood as opposed to the opposite where he's intentionally misinforming people. So um, I'm going to show that at the end and I'm hoping that someone knows who he is and kind of just in private, let me know or, you know, send me an email and say, Hey, this is the guy. And you know, he's a buddy of mine or whatever and have him get a hold of me in one way or the other. <clears throat> and maybe I can help him kind of stay on the path. <laughs> so I'll get to that point at the end. Um, yeah, Randy. So the comment in, in chat is I, I call these, this principles, even small companies have principles and rules. It's not always the money thing. Just my thoughts. True. Yeah. It's not always about money. I understand. So, um, it just seems odd that a customer would want to buy something from you that you're holding in your hand, but you won't sell it to them. <laughs> what is, what is going on? And it, the same thing happened in Brazil. My family is Brazilian. So when I'm in Brazil, the same thing happened in Brazil once where I'm like, Oh, I just, it's right there on the, on the tray. Can I buy it? And they said, no. I'm like, why not? It's, it's not, it's not reserved. Well, that's for tomorrow. I'm like, how do I end up in these situations? It's bizarre. Um, anyway. Uh, okay. Let's get started today. So this, this really, Randy is, this paper is really for you. I wouldn't normally have pulled this paper. It, it, it has something to do with fall fertility of cool season grasses. Um, but because you, you were interested in some carbohydrate information, I pulled this paper and I have a, a second paper today too, but I'm not going to go into a great deal. I'm just going to read the conclusions from the second paper only because it's a little bit more succinct and clear in the second paper than in, than in this paper. This paper is, um, well, let me just get into it. This paper is the effect of nitrogen source rate and timing on growth and carbohydrates of Marion, Kentucky, uh, Marion bluegrass. So it was done by Watchkin Waddington in 1974. And if you don't know those names, Watchkin Waddington, uh, don't, you know, don't lose, don't feel bad. Um, but these two authors did a lot of work in the seventies. Um, a tremendous amount of work has been put out by these two authors um, and, and independently and with other teams, not just in, in tandem with each other, but there's a lot of good work that came out from these authors. This particular paper is, um, similar to the other 1970s and prior papers where there's not a lot of statistics in it. There's, um, you know, a lot of good graphs, which is the reason I pulled it up. Um, I think it'll help explain some things to, um, you know, the average person, but don't expect a lot of statistics when they say something differs from the other. Remember back then they weren't doing a lot of stats like we do today. So, I mean, it was a breakthrough whenever they had SAS come through. Well, SAS is the statistical program that would tem a lot of people tend to use. I know they use R nowadays and other things, SPS and so forth, but SAS, they, they used to have to do it on paper cards. In fact, the old codes when you started it, in fact, that card code might still be in SAS or the word card would start off the electronic process of analyzing it. But the reason the word card was there, because in the old days you had to literally print off punch cards to run your statistics. Well, this was prior to that. So all these papers have been prior to the, uh, to the current statistical methods that we use today. And so a lot of these old papers don't have stats in it. Okay. 
as you'll see as in other papers if you're new to the channel you'll see some whiteout sections those are not to hide anything it's just to kind of keep me on track unfortunately this paper well fortunately unfortunately for me this paper has a tremendous amount of good information in it, and so i'm going to have to read most of it it's not i can't just skip from one to the other because it there's just a lot of information in here that you need to kind of understand what they did it is a little bit challenging to kind of understand what they did i'll work my way through it um but um, bear with me i think i think it'll be worth it when we get to the results i'll try to sum this up um, at the end with kind of a the basic concept of carbohydrates so for the for well, let me just read the introduction maybe i, I won't go into my little preamble they, they probably do it in the introduction so the introduction of this paper published in 1974 in, a, in agronomy journal so again agronomy journal is one of the top tier journals that we publish in from the american side of agronomy um you can become a member there i think you can get all the journals or back up you can't get all the journals you can get a large majority of the journals with your membership for around 200 bucks if you get the correct membership and the correct journal access and so forth so if you ever decide to to join um great if you don't um, you can still read the abstract which in this case will give you a lot of good information you can read that for free okay the introduction a goal of turfgrass managers is, an, is to maximize turfgrass health and simultaneously maintain aesthetic quality. Success in this endeavor is dependent upon various maintenance practices and get my thing up. maintenance practices, including nitrogen fertility fertilization. Nitrogen stimulates carbohydrate utilization for growth. So if you remember, um, in order to metabolize nitrogen, we need carbohydrates as humans. The plant needs carbohydrates as well. In humans, excess carbohydrates are stored as fat. In plants, generally, they're stored as starch. Or um, there is water-soluble uh, carbohydrates that are stored in other parts of the plant, if I remember correctly. But um, I'm not a plant physiologist, but generally, it's starches in plants and fats in humans. And in both cases, in order to metabolize nitrogen, we need to use carbohydrates. Uh, carbohydrate utilization for growth and is essential for desired green color. Carbohydrate reserves decrease when growth occurs. And it has been shown that grasses respond more favor favorably to stress when carbohydrates are high. So, you know, uh, like I said, I, I don't mean to, you know, call you out, Randy, if you if you don't feel comfortable with that. But this is, I think, where where your interest is, is that you're, I th I, from my, I'm inferring from what you've said that you seem to be interested in understanding how do you maximize carbohydrates to help alleviate some stresses here and there. And that's what they say here in the introduction. And they have several citations to support this, this claim. Thus, however, thus a dichotomy exists between fertilizing for vigor and color and restricting nitrogen to augment inherent stress tolerance. So that's kind of what I mentioned in the past is that if you're, if your damage on your sports turf is so much that you, you, uh, you have to maintain excess growth to keep up with the damage, you, you can't also at the same time have uh, increased carbohydrates. So the question I think you had earlier was, you know, during times of low stress on the plant, during times of low play or whatever, what can you do to enhance carbohydrate increases so that when it comes back, you're a little bit more, um, I don't know, well off. The plant is a little bit more uh, suitable to sustain a little bit extra stress. I think that's kind of what you were hinting at. Uh, Wide out some stuff there. Uh, available nitrogen is not overly abundant during the spring growth flush, which consumes stored carbohydrates. So the spring growth flush, um, when you see a lot of growth on cool season grasses in the spring, 
will consume stored carbohydrates, and that's what we're going to find in this paper. Conversely, high rates of soluble sources applied in the spring unnecessarily stimulate growth. This author, Troughton, has shown that forage grasses that carbo has shown with forage grasses that carbohydrates decline during spring shoot growth. The net result is a reduction in available carbohydrates with summer weather still ahead. As the relationship between growth factors, temperature, moisture, and light, or have you heard those before, right? Those three are the critical components of my uh, my pyramid of, of uh, risk factors is water, light, and temperature. As those change, the balance shifts between energy acquired for photosynthesis and that stored as carbohydrates and energy required for growth. We're going to talk about this a little bit where um, he doesn't go into it in a great deal in his paper. And if you're a plant physiologist and you hear me say something silly, I acknowledge I'm not a plant physiologist. Okay, so <laughs> feel free to comment and say, hey, you know, Dr. Shaddix was a little off on that, which I fully acknowledge. But my understanding is, is that um, when photosynthesis is occurring and nitrogen is being applied, the, the photosynthates or the carbohydrates that are being um, generated or created or formed from photosynthesis are in, that are in the leaves will be used to metabolize that nitrogen as it's, as it's um, provided and if the plant is growing, right? So the carbohydrates in the leaves will be used. It's only when the growth rate exceeds the photosynthetic, the ability of the photosynth of photosynthesis to create the carbohydrates that the plant starts pulling from other organs like the stems and roots. Okay. It's not like the plant is a squirrel and thinks, oh, I stashed all these acorns away for the winter. Now it's winter. Now I'm going to go get them. It doesn't, doesn't think that way. It's just going to take carbohydrates from wherever they're available. And if they're available in the leaf, it's going to use those. It's only when it depletes those carbohydrates in the leaves and growth is continu you're continuing to apply nitrogen and you're continuing to push it and it doesn't have enough in the leaf that it starts to m move previously stored carbohydrates into the leaf to continue to metabolize that nitrogen and it pulls those from other parts of the plant. That's my understanding of how the system works in plants. But I am not a plant physiologist, so um, if I am incorrect, I'm sure someone will let me know. Um, let's skip through. The effects of environment on energy balances is in turn affected by management practices, including fertilization. Consequently, sources of fertilizer, nitrogen, rate, and timing have an important role in the maintenance and quality of turf grass. Okay. The present study was conducted to determine the effect of different nitrogen sources, rates, and timing on the growth and soluble carbohydrate content of Marion, Kentucky bluegrass. Okay. And then you had another, another paper talking about the quality. So you're not going to see any quality paper, quality in this, uh, in this paper. I'm going to work my way through the materials and methods. It's a little bit challenging, but bear with me. Okay. Um, eight nitrogen fertilizer treatments were used. Okay. Not necessarily eight sources, but eight treatments. There was IBDU, and this uramite, this urea formaldehyde. So when you see uramite, that must have been the brand name back then. It's urea formaldehyde, UF. So we have IBDU, UF. Okay, let me just underline these. IBDU, UF, which were applied once and twice per season. So when you say a treatment, it's not just the, the, the source, but it's also the, the rate. Okay. Urex, which was an extruded urea paraffin matrix, which I don't need, I don't know if that exists anymore, um, was applied once. 
So we have, this is the next nitrogen source. We have milorganite, okay, which was applied three times. Then we have urea, which was applied nine times, and a non-treated control. So we have IBDU, UF, uh, Urex, which I don't even this paraffin wax matrix thing doesn't even exist as far as I know anymore like it is. IBDU, UF, Urex, milorganite, and urea, and then we have a control. Okay. So those are the products and they were not all applied at the same time in the same fashion. There were some, you know, IBDU and, and the formaldehyde was applied once or it was applied twice. This Urex product was applied only once. Milorganite was applied three times and urea was applied nine times. So it was applied um, periodically throughout the year. Okay. The rates of nitrogen per growing season were 1.46 kilogram, kilograms per hundred square meters. So I think I got this right now. That's going to be three pounds for urea. So the rates of nitrogen was three pounds for urea or when, when urea was applied. And remember, it was applied nine times. So the total annual, so it was that three pounds divided by nine. So it was a third of a pound every time that it was it was applied. And, uh, uh, and five pounds for all of the treatments. So the total was five pounds from all the soil release sources and three pounds from the urea. Okay. Which is not uncommon. The slow resources sometimes have to have, have to be applied at higher rates. Okay. The split applications were divided in equal portions, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Single applications were applied. And here's the dates, <clears throat> June 71, May 72. So it was, uh, May 30th and June. So three days apart. So basically the very beginning of summer was the single applications. The two applications, when, when, when a product was applied twice, it was applied to beginning of summer in June and in September. Okay. And then same thing there the next year. When it was applied three times, so we're talking about milorganite, it was applied June, July, and September. So we're talking early summer all the way into the early fall. And then the same thing happened the following year. And then when the nine applications for urea were done, every were applied every two weeks starting the 1st of June. So we're applying products throughout the summer and in the fall, pretty much wherever. The single applications were all applied at the beginning of summer. Okay. <clears throat> Yeah, Chuck, it, it, uh, your ex, it, it might be Osmocote. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, oh, hey, I, I, I don't recognize your name. I'm glad, I'm glad you're able to join us today. Maybe you've been here before. I missed maybe for lost track and didn't. And maybe you've been here before, but um, glad you're able to make it, even if you're treating yards. So um, hang her out to the end, guys, because I have, I have a request. It's not going to take, you may or may not be able to help, but it's not going to take any effort at all, really. And I have a request. I need, I need some help. So hang around to the end and I'll ask for some help and we'll see what happens. So those are the, those are the nitrogen um, products and the nitrogen rates. So we're applying, we're starting in the summer, applying one or applying two or applying three or applying nine. And it's not all from the same nitrogen sources. Okay. The, the urea was applied nine times. So we're really kind of spoon feeding it throughout the year. And the, the slower these sources were applied a little differently. Okay. Uh, and that's, that's basically it. He, he, they measured, uh, total non-structural carbohydrates. That's really all you need to know in this paper. Okay. So throughout the, the, um, experimental period, they measured non-structural carbohydrates. <clears throat> now, the one thing you might need to know, cause it kind of th offsets some stuff is there was a hurricane that happened in the second year. This spike in rainfall that you see right here was from hurricane Agnes that hit this area in 1972 and the area by the way is in pennsylvania they don't notice that they don't mention that in the materials and methods um, but these authors were at the university of pennsylvania or i'm sorry penn state sorry 
Uh, so this was up in Pennsylvania when this where this was conducted. Okay. So let's get into the to the results and discussion. And I again, I just whited stuff out. You're welcome to go get the article and read the whole thing if you want to. I'm trying to hit the highlights because it's, it's there's a lot here. However, not all fluctuations in carbohydrates in the summer of 1972 can be attributed to stimulation of growth. For example, the Czech treatment had more growth in the spring and fall than in the summer. Okay, with no nitrogen. I'm going to show you those, those graphs in just a second. But I want to make sure, because the check is important to understand in both of these um, scenarios, because there are differences that will occur, and there are influences that occur in carbohydrates and growth from nitrogen sources, but the check is critical to understand. And um, the, like he says, the check treatment had more growth in the spring and in the fall than in the summer. However, during June and July, the carbohydrates level decreased in the check. So as the growth is going up in the spring, the, what you're going to see is that the carbohydrates are starting to go down. And throughout the summer, they stay low, and then they start to come back up in the, in the fall. You'll see. Um, <clears throat> where, okay, the night, the night minimum temperatures during 72 were warmer than those in 71, and dark respiration was undoubtedly higher, which would, re, which would result in lower carbohydrates. The lowest level of carbohydrates in the check coincides with the highest night temperatures for both years. Okay, so what they're basically saying is, is that the highest night temperatures likely resulted in an excess growth, and that that in turn resulted in the lowest level of carbohydrates. Okay. The first two clipping weights in May indicate the residual effect of fall treatment. So they they applied some of them in September. Don't forget, and they started taking clip. They took clippings in May. Although not all always significant, growth from spring fall applications was greater than growth from a single spring application. So we've been talking about that where uh, applications in the fall, particularly late in the fall, don't, don't encourage a lot of growth but have color. But applications early in the fall do have some growth and they continue to have a little bit of color throughout the, the, um, the winter and as opposed to applying just in the spring. So this is what this is saying is a little bit of nitrogen in the fall and a little bit of nitrogen in the spring resulted in greater growth than not applying anything in the fall and applying only something in the spring. Okay, this residual effect was particularly evident after substantial rains fell from May. Okay, all treatments increased growth during this period, but the split applications with the treatment in the September caused the highest increase in yields. So that September application, uh, whenever it's omitted, even if the nitrogen is applied the same at the appropriate rate in the spring, you're not going to get the same amount of growth rate. So that's that fall application is essentially critical is what they're saying. Okay. Um, <clears throat> oh, okay. Got herded here from the burn and return show. <clears throat> oh, and saying you got, Oh, is that going, did that go on earlier today or something? Or was that last night? The long, it says longtime listener got herded here from the burn and return show. Is that's a, that's a grass factor show. I don't know if that's a grass factor show or if that's going on now or how, what, what you mean by that. I, th I think those guys are over at the GIE. I'm not sure what they're planning on doing, but um, okay. So let's continue. I'm going to go back up to these graphs. Okay. Following the, the initial application of treatments, your, your X treated. So this, this Urex was the, um, <clears throat> I'm going to go back up here and make sure I'm not fibbing to you guys. The Urex was this paraffin wax thing. Urex turf gave the largest and most immediate growth response. However, overall growth declined after June 15th. So this was supposed to be a slow release material. And I think what happened was they realized in, in, in the middle of it that it didn't 
slow the release of nitrogen down and they applied it at five pounds just like they when they when they applied urea at, at three pounds so they ended up getting a lot of growth from it so basically they didn't see much slow release and that's what they show here in the growth consequently at, as a as a result of this excess growth the carbohydrate level generally increased until mid-september when the warm wait it increased till mid-september when warm temperatures and plenty of rainfall stimulated stimulated growth oh hang on let me read this again Following initial application of treatment, Urex turf gave the largest and most immediate growth response. Oh, and figure, oh, that's at the, at the beginning. Okay, in the summer. However, overall growth declined after June fifteenth. Okay, consequently, as the growth declined, the carbohydrate level generally increased until mid-September. So let's look at this Urex Urex treatment, which is <clears throat> where is that thing right here? Okay, so what he's talking about is in in these graphs. Hopefully, you can see this on screen. If you can't, I'll do my best to describe what I'm what I'm showing. These graphs, the solid line is going to be the yield on all these graphs. The dotted line is the carbohydrate level, okay? And all each one of these graphs is a different nitrogen source. The bottom is the is the check, okay? This is the check down here where they didn't apply anything. And what I want to point out before I go to the Urex is that the carbohydrates, when you didn't apply any nitrogen at all, this is May, okay, on the x-axis we got May, June, July, August, September, and October, okay? And on the y-axis we have soluble carbohydrates and yield. So as we move out of May and into the summer, you'll start to see the carbohydrates fluctuate a little bit, but then we start to see it really declines all the way into August and even into September. So the carbohydrates as, on this particular cool season grass as we move into the summer are going to start to become depleted. Okay, it's going to start using up those carbohydrates as we move into the stressful periods of summer. And then the check, it actually stayed quite low down here, even September, October. Okay. Now, so that's what's going to happen if you don't play anything. If you applied Urex, which is this paraffin wax thing, the growth rate went sky high right after application. You see right here. Okay, let me back this out. Right, right here. This this peak right here. Let's see if I can draw an arrow. Is what they're talking about. Where you, it went from roughly where the yield was on the, on the non-treated to really high. Okay, well, relatively high. 200 grams. I don't know what that means. Back then, I guess it was normal. 200 grams. But you see at the same time, consequently, the carbohydrate declines. Okay. So in this particular case, when you saw a lot of growth from five pounds of nitrogen applied as a slow release, which was thought to be a slow release, but it turns out it probably wasn't, you see a lot of growth, and then you see the carbohydrates get depleted. What this is saying is, is that the carbohydrates that were in the leaf from photosynthesis weren't enough to metabolize that nitrogen and it started pulling carbohydrates out of the stems and roots is basically what it's saying um okay <laughs> okay that's what that's saying now uh, i, I want to explain this a little bit more in detail but that's in this particular treatment when they thought they were applying a slow release it turned out not to be much, very slow release we saw a pretty consistent response between a lot of growth and a lot of depletion of carbohydrates okay going into june okay <clears throat> I'm going to skip to the next. Uh, okay. Here, oh, here's what he says. Um, the paraffin matrix did not delay nitrogen release compared to the other slow release types, although it has been shown to have lower burn. So that's what he's saying is that it didn't delay the release of it. They applied five pounds and they got this spike as opposed to urea, which was over here. This was the urea. Remember, we were applying um, a third of a pound each application here nine times over the year and you don't see this great this large spike in growth you see a little bit of growth compared to the to the non-treated over here 
um, but you don't see the spike in growth like you did from this carbohydrate from this over here this would be these increases here are the result of a third of a pound 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 you know they're applying a third of a pound you know nine times throughout the year for a total of three pounds if i if i did that math correctly so they're applying a little bit over the over the season as opposed to a lot at one shot here okay okay that's the case with urex and, and urea let's go to the, the milorganite turf treated with milorganite and urea had rel relatively uniform growth curves without extreme peaks following fertilizer application as a result, the carbohydrates were generally higher, particularly in the spring, than the other treatments except the check. So let me explain what they're talking about here on the, on the milorganite and the, and the uh, urea. When you're applying urea a little bit at a time, spoon feeding it, you are essentially on cruise control in your car. Okay. And you just put it on cruise control and it's going to cruise through at, at a consistent speed and a consistent consumption of, of gasoline. Okay. And that's what you see here. You see the, the growth, not, not really high spikes, not really low valleys. It's just a, a consistent growth. And the carbohydrates um, in, in that plant are very similar to the check. Look, as this goes down, as the carbohydrates go down here from the application of urea, in general, you more or less see the, the carbohydrates go down. There's a little bit up there. Generally go down as we move into the summer from the check. You see this spike here from August to September from the uh, urea-treated plants, and you see a, a spike here in the in the check from the urea-treated plants. Okay, it's maybe not the same magnitude, but give or take, you see a very similar response when you're applying a little bit of nitrogen uh, in the carbohydrate. You see a similar response in carbohydrates when you're applying just a little bit as applies to, as a, as opposed to applying nothing. Okay, let me get all this red stuff off here. A similar uh, pattern exists from milorganite, where you see the, the the carbohydrate or i'm sorry let's start with the growth where you see the growth go up a little bit remember we're applying five pounds here in one shot and then you see a, you know it goes down a little bit because you're going in the summer this is cool, cool season but then the growth is fairly consistent you don't see this massive spike okay and the same thing happens with the carbohydrates where you see a fairly uniform it declines it declines but you see a fairly uniform carbohydrate a pattern as similar to what existed in the check Okay, in other words, I didn't say that really correctly. You're seeing a pattern of carbohydrate depletion that is consistent with not applying any nitrogen when you're applying a slow release like milorganite or you're applying a soluble like urea periodically at low rates. So you're not stripping everything out. So if you're in your car and you're on cruise control, you're using speeds consistent, gasoline consumption is consistent. If you put, let's just use urea. If you put urea out, instead of putting out at a third pound, you put it out at five pounds, you're slamming the pedal and your gas all the way down to the floor. And the speed's increasing, and the, and the consumption of gasoline is much greater than if you're on cruise control, right? So you're you're really pushing the ga the car hard, and you're cons and as a consequence, it's going faster. But as a consequence, it's also uh, much more stressful on the engine, and it's consuming a lot more consumables like gasoline. And the same thing happens in the plant. Give it a little bit of in consistently over time, and the carbohydrate depletion is minimal. Okay, compared to applying nothing. But if you push it, you're going to see a depletion at some point. Okay, especially in, in periods of low photosynthesis. This is the summertime, so in the cool season grasses, it start, it's going into dormancy. Or it's been, it's in dormancy. Okay, that, that's, as a, as an, in a nutshell, that's, that's kind of the take-home message. But you'll see, this, you'll see a similar pattern in the carbohydrates um, at, from these other in-sources as well, really. 
compared to the check. I want you to look at this check here in the bottom and you'll see there's a little bit of uptick and then it kind of consistently goes down in the summer and there might be a little start to begin to see a little tick up in the, sep in the September time frame. But you see more or less the same thing from IBDU. It kind of goes down and then up and then down. You'll see a you know fairly uniform, not well not uniform, but a, uh, it's pretty predictable reduction in carbohydrates from May from May into the late summer. From all these, you see a reduction. The carbohydrates are going down. Carbohydrates are going down. Okay, they're all they're all declining as we move further into the summer. Okay, the only one that had a well, not the only one, but the one with the most magnif magnified effect was this urex that was supposed to be slow release, but wasn't. And then you see a really sharp decline in carbohydrates, followed by an increase as the as the plant slows down its growth. Okay, after the application, the plant began to slow down because of the summertime, and as a result, the carbohydrates increased. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Oh, and thanks for the information. Yeah, they mentioned you, I had a, you by you. I mean, I think you mean me. I started. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. I'm glad they said something about them. Maybe, maybe thank you to them. Thank you to you for showing up. <laughs> so BNR on Sunday nights at okay at 2100. Okay. Is that live, Gray? Is the B the Burn and Return show on Sundays? Is it live or is it recorded? I, I don't know. Um, okay. So that's the first year, more or less. They, they see these graphs in the second year. And what you're going to see is, is in, within this year, a very different curve, but a very similar reason for it. Okay. So we're going to skip down here to these graphs and you're going to see the same, same setup, check in the bottom left, uh, urea in the bottom right, but the carbohydrates and the growth graph lines are very different and remember in june of this year of 1972 in pennsylvania is when they had a, a tremendous amount of rain from a hurricane okay and you see what happened with urex growth it actually goes off the chart literally off the chart so the growth rate of this grass went off the chart as a result of the excess water and you'll see the same thing from ibdu as a result you know ibdu is released by hydrolysis and you'll see a tremendous amount of growth following the rainfall from that hurricane and by the way, if it looks like these graphs were done like with a pen or a pencil or something and doesn't look like computer generated, that's because it was. <laughs> okay. Even in the 90s, there were some graphs that we had to do by hand. So you had to sit there and draw these out by hand and have everything. There was actually lessons on how to draw these graphs to the proper scale and the proper units and so forth. And they had to draw these out by hand. So. That's why they look like they were drawn by hand. They were. Um, so the hurricane threw things in a different direction in this season. But let's start with the check. The carbohydrates um, are here, and you'll start to see a decline. This, the rainfall occurs right here. Okay, right. This is when the rainfall occurs, and you see the, there's a little bit of uptake in the yield here, and you see a decline in the, the carbohydrates, and then it starts to go back up in the in the uh, late late summer, early fall. And this uptick is the same thing you'll see in virtually every every graph. You'll see this uptick in every single graph where you see an increase in carbohydrates late in the summer um, and it going into the fall. Okay, and that is consistent with a reduction or a reduced rate of growth. You don't see the same amount of growth in the late summer, early fall as you did in this season, in this particular year, in this location, as you did in the spring because of that hurricane. You had a lot of growth 
and you had some depletion in the in the carbohydrates. Okay, you had a lot of growth from IBDU and depletion. You know, you'd say there's no different than the check, but the check had excess growth too, not excess, but it had increased growth as a result of that extra extra rainfall. Okay. So <clears throat> I, I guess that you know I, I wish they had stats so you could see differences statistically to say, okay, this is actually what happened during this month and there were differences. You don't have that back then. We don't have that. They they simply say they differed. Um but you can see the pattern fairly consistent that the check alone will change the carbohydrate reserves with no nitrogen as a result of moving in from, moving from spring into summer and from summer into fall. The carbohydrates are going to change. Okay. It's when we, and, and applying nitrogen may not necessarily have an, a, a significant effect on the carbohydrate reserves if it's applied at uh, low rates and sort of uniformly, consistently, you, you may not strip everything out of the plant as long as the nitrogen that you're applying is not in a supply greater than the supply of carbohydrates from photosynthesis in the leaves. It's when you have a rainfall and a lot of in when you see this growth just shoot up. It's when that happens that this, the, the carbohydrates in the leaves are not sufficient to supply the plant with enough to metabolize the nitrogen that it starts to pull carbohydrates from other locations. Okay. I got to get going through this because there's quite a bit more. Although some differential growth response occurred due to residual nitrogen, no difference in carbohydrates were found until after the spring fertilization. At this time, Urex had the largest growth response to the June rainfall. And that's what I just showed you. The corresponding drop in carbohydrates as measured on June 13th accompanied the growth stimulation on plots given Urex and the single application from Uramite. So that's what I'm saying. They applied it. They got a lot of rainfall. You see a spike in growth and you see a decline in in and uh, carbohydrates oh, i have a little bit more down here the, the oh i wanted to mention this because um i mentioned this actually just co coincidentally in another in a prior podcast the vernacular term uf explosion back so back in the 60s and 70s this urea formaldehyde or 70s the urea formaldehyde um would thought was you'd apply it over many many years and eventually you would build up such a reserve in the soil that you'd have a huge flush of growth from the residual nitrogen from prior years application of the of urea formaldehyde and that's what they call the UF explosion. It has been used to explain excessive growth responses on areas that have been fertilized with urea formaldehyde nitrogen sources for several consecutive seasons or that have repeated applications in spring when cold, um, cold soils restrict release. Okay. This phenomenon, UF explosion, has not been documented by scientific research and no evidence for it occurred during 1972 when conditions were optimal for release of residual nitrogen on plots treated for six years. So that's what I mentioned the other day. It's like some some um, some people will, will say, salesmen or manufacturers will say, well, you can apply the UF and you'll eventually build up enough non or uh, uh, hot water insoluble nitrogen that will eventually uh, erode or decay and, and release its nitrogen over many, uh, over prior years. And you'll build up sort of a reserve and a buffer. And what this is saying is over six years of doing this, they didn't see anything. Okay, um, I'm going to skip ahead to the next green part that I highlighted. By October 24th, the Urex treatment, single application of IBDU and uramite and urea were not different from the check. Okay, only the split applications of IBDU, uramite, and milorganite caused lower carbohydrates than the check. This carbohydrate reduction was a reflection of growth response to the fall applied nitrogen. 
Environmental stresses, high temperatures, and drought rarely occur during October in Pennsylvania, and reduced carbohydrates during this time would not be deleterious. So he's saying this happened, but it wouldn't be a problem. Okay, the conclusions. Then I'm going to skip ahead to the next pa- the next paper on the conclusions of that because he sums up his results very nicely in the conclusions. Comparison data for 71 and 72 provided useful information concerning the effect of dry versus wet year on growth of American Kentucky bluegrass in response to rate timing of several end sources. Now, when he started this, obviously he didn't know there was going to be a hurricane. Okay. And, um, it, when those things happen, it's absolutely, uh, critical that we continue to do our work because although we didn't intend to go out and measure the effect of a hurricane, because you can't predict that, um, he did. And, and that happened in one of my studies too, where we, we were doing a study and one of the tropical storm or hurricane came through and really drenched the areas. And I think it was doing a wedding agent study I did. I think I believe we published that. And it gave us some insight on what would happen during excess water. And um, so go ahead and publish that. Yeah, you can't repeat it. Um, but to have data during uh, environmental conditions like a hurricane um, can, are very valuable. Okay. IBDU, which depended upon hydrolysis for nitrogen release, caused more growth during 1972, which I showed uh, as a result of the excess water from the hurricane. Urite, uramite, and milorganite, which depended primarily on microbial activity for nitrogen release, also caused more growth in 1972. So they all, all these did, or a lot of them did. Maximum and minimum temperatures did not not differ appreciably except in the fall. It therefore appears that moisture levels were more important to microbial activity and release of nitrogen from these sources than was temperature. So if you look at the the, pyramid that I've done where we're talking about a risk, a relative risk of turf grass, you know, uh, factors. I have water as the most important at the bottom it has the most, most, the greatest impact. And then above that is temperature and light. Okay. And there's more than one reason for that. But what this is saying here is exactly, you know, uh, supporting why I have water as the, the major factor. And he says, it appears moisture was more important to microbial activity than temperature. In this particular case, uh, for my yeah, so for microbial activity, and therefore from the release of nitrogen from those nitrogen sources that require it, slow release nitrogen sources, except urex applied to Marion, Marion, Kentucky bluegrass, did not result in carbohydrate depletion early in the season. So May, consequently, carbohydrate reserves were available to support grass growth later in the season when higher temperatures increased respiration and growth. The nitrogen availability increased. In contrast, single applications of Urex, which was the product that we thought was slow but wasn't, gave a relatively rapid release early in the season. The rate of application, this three pound, was the same as a single application from Uride and IBDU and resulted in excess growth and reduction of carbohydrates prior to warm weather. Similar or more drastic depletions would be expected from higher rates of soluble in. Okay, repeat that again. Similar or more drastic depletions of carbohydrates would be expected from high rates of soluble nitrogen. Periodic cool spells occur in central Pennsylvania during summer months, and during these times, carbohydrates can accumulate. However, in warmer environments, depletion of carbohydrates prior to summer weather would place turf in a physiologically weakened condition. Okay, so in a nutshell, that's the the take-home message, and that is high rates of soluble nitrogen or high rates of what you thought was a slow-release nitrogen that turned out to be soluble, which is what happened in this case, are going to have an effect beneficially and potentially deleteriously on the turf. Okay, it's going to give you the growth. It's going to give you the color, yes. 
But if for some reason you're interested in a more balanced approach, not stripping things out of the plant, i.e. photosynthates or carbohydrates, you want to keep things sort of balanced and green and you know growing well, then uh, uh, you know periodic or, or spoon feeding nitrogen to the plant will, will provide that without much risk of depleting carbohydrates. When you're in sport turf, uh, you almost never have that opportunity to just kind of, oh, it's just slightly green. I just want a little bit green and a little bit of growth and I'm fine. You, you don't have that. Usually you don't. You need a lot of growth to keep up with the damage from traffic. Okay. So if that's the case where you have to have a lot of growth, you're not going to be able to achieve that very easily and not deplete carbohydrates. You're going to deplete carbohydrates. It's going to happen. So if, if depending on your situation, depending on your needs, if you know if you need a lot of growth, there's not much you can do. If you just need a little bit of growth and you just want to keep it growing a little bit with, and minimize the risk of depletion of carbohydrates, then don't put out a lot of soluble nitrogen. Lower your rates down and find that magic zone wherever you're at that results in the growth, the minimum amount of growth you need to keep things where you want them and just don't put any more nitrogen down. And I don't know what that rate is. It's all going to depend upon your acceptable limits, whether it's the turf density or the uniformity or the color, whatever that is, your coaches or your players or whatever they, whatever that might be. I don't know your boundaries and your limits. Um, but if you find, okay, this amount of nitrogen at this time of year is clearly enough to get me where I want to go, don't think, oh, I'm going to put a little bit more to get a little bit of extra because what you're going to do is very likely to your carbohydrates, Okay. Let's skip to the next um, article. I just want to, I'm not going to go over this whole article. I'm just going to talk about the conclusions and the conclusions. If I can get them on the screen <clears throat> are a little bit more succinct. Uh, there we go. Get them on the screen. Okay. Eh, now I can't read it. Let me see if I can zoom in on this and get it on. Okay. That's a little bit better. So this was a study done on Kentucky 31. And uh, bluegrass and, and orchard grass. Okay, so it's a little bit different condition, but I like the summary of this particular paper. Okay, let me just let me just mention the paper's title before I go too much further. The title is "Relationships Between Reserve Carbohydrate Accumulation and Growth Rate in Orchard Grass and Tall Fescue." And this was also in oh, this was in Crop Science, so another one of our top tier journals. And this was published what did I say, nineteen sixty five. Okay. 65. So the Beatles are around, the Stones are around, probably Led Zeppelin was still around doing their thing. I, yeah, they were. I don't know if they were, they were more 70s, but you know, and then there's these guys doing carbohydrate stuff in turf grass. <laughs> okay. Growth rate and accumulation of reserved carbohydrates were studied in Kentucky 31 fescue and orchard grass under conditions of variable nitrogen temperature and rainfall conditions. Under conditions promoting rapid growth, Carbohydrates were either reduced or remained at low levels. When grass growth was reduced by low nitrogen, temperature, or moisture, reserve carbohydrates accumulated. Application of malic, malic hydroside, I can't, hydroside reduced orchard uh, grass growth and doubled the, weak, uh, doubled the water-soluble carbohydrate content. It is concluded that accumulation of water-soluble carbohydrate by orchard grass in Kentucky 31 fescue presents a positive metabolic energy balance. That is, energy fixed in photosynthesis is in excess of the requirement for growth. Okay, 
So the short and skinny of it is when they, when they got a lot of growth, they got less carbohydrates. When they got a uh, little growth, they got more carbohydrates. Okay. So I, I like that conclusion of that paper. It's, it's much more succinct in, uh, in my view, much clearer, um, uh, than, than perhaps the other paper. Okay. Even though it's not necessarily in the same type of turf grasses that we would use, um, in lawns or on, on golf or on sport turf. Okay. Um, so that's the carbohydrates from um, cool season grasses. And you're not going to see a whole lot of difference in terms of warm season grasses. When you're growing a lot and you're exceeding the, the carbohydrates in the leaf from photosynthesis, you're going to pull them from somewhere else. There's no other way to do it. Okay, same thing with us. When you're eating, um, when, you're eat, when you're consuming a lot of, I'm not a dietitian, but when you're consuming carbohydrates and you're consuming proteins, the, the, the metabolization of that protein is going to be done by some of the carbohydrates that you just consumed, as opposed to not, not eating any carbohydrates and eating the protein, your body still is going to metabolize some of that protein and nitrogen, and it's got to get it from somewhere. It's got to get the carbohydrates from somewhere and you didn't eat any. So it's going to pull them from where, right? Pull them from the fat, your body's fat. Okay. <clears throat> Maybe not your body's fat, <laughs> your, your body's fat tissue. <laughs> um, okay. So I want to mention one thing here at the end. Uh, I made a mistake. So that, that's it. If you have any questions about carbohydrates or something, you know, shoot me an email. Um, oh, let me check the chat here. Uh, Randy has quite, does this related with seed head, seed heads production in late spring? <clears throat> well, one, one thing I have a lot of issues. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a lot of problems. Um, but one of my problems is not knowing what lane I'm in. I know my lane and my lane is not plant physiology. It's not seed head production. It's not the plant itself. Okay. Every time, almost without exception, I go, ah, I kind of know that lane a little bit. Let me get over in that lane. Someone runs me over. Um, so I'm not going to really answer that question, Randy, about seed head production. Cause I'm not a plant physiologist and I don't want to get it wrong. Um, I will say my understanding is that seed head production is oftentimes exacerbated under conditions of low nitrogen fertility. Okay. But don't go chisel that in stone. Okay. So whether or not it has an effect on carb or carbohydrate reserves have an effect on seed head production. Um, I'll have to get a guest on here who knows something about, uh, plant physiology and seed head production to answer that question for you. Good question. I'm sure it's a question other people have. Um, but I am reluctant to attempt to answer that question. Okay. Uh, so back on what I want to finish up on today, I made a mistake. Okay, guys made a huge mistake. I went to YouTube and I looked up, I don't know if I, I don't know what I searched for exactly, but I searched for, um, turf grass, nitrogen, I'm sorry, turf grass, iron, iron applications to turf grass or something. The very first paper I ever did here on this podcast was the review paper of nit of iron. And a lot of my work that I've done and published over the years has been on iron and manganese and magnesium and things like that. Um, but I made a mistake <laughs> and I went to YouTube and I looked up iron for turf grass or iron fertility or something, whatever, whatever I YouTubed. 
and I came across a video and um, I'm just going to say that I'm going to assume that this gentleman is um, just um, unknowingly misinformed for now. I'm going to assume that I'm going to show you a video and what I'd like to ask who all is watching. I don't know this person. I'm being sincere when I ask this, I would like to know how to get a hold of this person so that I can help him. Uh, I would like to help this person. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to assume he's sincere and that he just doesn't realize what he's saying is, is not true. Um, but there's a reason why I, I, I am particularly, um, perturbed by this video and I'm going to, I'm going to explain it. It's a 20 minute video. I'm not going to show the whole thing, but I'm going to ex show it. And then I'm going to explain why it is um, that it kind of caught me off guard. Let's see if I can do this. So I'm going to hit play. I hope you can hear the audio. If you can't hear the audio, be quick in the chat and let me know and I'll see what I can do to change the uh, settings. I'm going to skip ahead quite a bit because I'm not going to watch the whole thing. University of Florida. Some so that's what got me. It got me, got me hook, line, and sinker right off the bat. <laughs> first two words, first three words out of the video. University of Florida. I'm a University of Florida grad. I was wearing Gator paraphernalia in Shawnee, Oklahoma on the football team in 1990-something. So I've been a Gator fan for ages. I'm a graduate from there two times, faculty from there. And he says, University of Florida. That's what got me interested. I'm okay. Let's look at, let's check it out. Moms respond to iron. Others don't. <clears throat> That's also, I mean, if you got, if you, <laughs> that, that also got me immediately. I was like, Hey, some, he says some lawn, he says, University of Florida says some lawns respond to iron. Some lawns don't. Now, if you know the past about University of Florida in my history at the University of Florida, there have been uh, maybe I have to go back and look, but there's maybe been 14 or 15 studies on iron on turf grasses, many of them lawn care turf grasses, lawn grasses in Florida. Of those 14 or 15, whatever they are, I think all of them, I'm sure someone can go back and find some Dudek papers or some, you know, Snyder papers or something, but nearly all of them were conducted by me. So, when he says some of them don't respond and some of them do respond, I was like, what? That doesn't make much, I don't, what? Now, now I'm, now I'm watching, you know, now I'm really like, okay, he, here we go. Cause I got to figure out what exactly is going on here. Um, let's, let's watch the rest of this or some of it. So what if your lawn always looked like a fuller iron application was just made? Great. And that's, that's great. No problem. I mean, if my if my lawn looked like that, I wouldn't be doing hardly anything to it other than just what I just did. Probably, I wouldn't plant any iron. Time. What are you gonna do? It's basically it's a nine on the color scale. Well, you can't get to a ten, you know. 
If you're spraying iron at all, you're getting it all wrong. Now, <sighs> all right, guys. I have been in, you guys probably know about my mental health and my, my willingness to talk about it. I have been in mental therapy, which I highly recommend to anybody. I don't care if you're think you're think you're neurotypical or not. I recommend you do it regularly. It's been fantastic. I've been doing it for years. I've been, I'm in two times a week for year for at least a year. This last year I've been in two times a week. So the Travis talking today is not the same Travis that would have spoken 10 years ago. I'm saying all that to say this. Uh, <laughs> this is not true. Okay. And I'm just going to assume, like I said, I'm going to assume that he's just sincerely mistaken for now. Okay. I'm going to come back after I'm hopefully able to get a hold of this gentleman. And if he, if he's sincerely interested in learning, I'll, I'll help him. I really want to help him go, go on to my, my Calendly. In fact, whoever this person is, go on to Calendly.com slash Travis Shaddix, pay the $50 for an hour consulting fee. I'll refund it to you. It'll cost me $5 to refund that money to you. I'll do it. I'll pay you for an hour of time to sit down with you to help you. Okay. Because if, if, if you're going to say, if you're applying, if you're, you can, you can say spraying iron at all, you're doing it wrong. You can, you may do that. You may, you may say you, you should apply um, granular iron. You may do that too. Um, it's a free world. But what, if you're going to use University of Florida research to say, to say this, you may not do that. That you may not do. Okay, we're going to get to it. Can anyone tell the difference between that green stripe and that green stripe? Can anyone see any difference on that side versus that side of the white stripe? No, I can't. I don't spray front foliar iron anymore, but I'm going to make an exception. You don't have to put spray foliar iron. Don't have to. Nothing wrong with not, not applying it. I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit. This is 20 minutes, mind you. I'm trying to get through it. 1,200 square feet everywhere else. I'm going to be using... He's going to explain what he's going to do. He sprayed some iron. He placed some Ferromec and he sprayed some iron Alright guys, it's been 12 sulfate. hours since I applied Ferromec to half of this and just straight urea to the other half. And of course, you've all seen the YouTube videos overnight. Bam! Look at my color. Look at that color. Ooh, it's so dark. Well, I can tell you a different story here. This is the result I expected. 0.1 pounds of nitrogen by Ferromec, 0.1 pounds of nitrogen by the exact same amount of nitrogen, exact same concentration, exact same everything by straight urea. So there's iron on this side, no iron on that side. Okay, and I think at some point he buys um, some uh, foliar iron sulfate. Can anyone see a difference? No, I don't. Can anyone tell the difference between that green stripe and that green stripe? I don't know which one he's talking about. Oh, by the way, that reminds me. The first, I, I've done probably, I don't say 14, 15, I don't know how many studies I've done on it. I published two or three or four of them. I don't remember. 
But just so just uh, this um, this video actually reminded me how it all started. The, the first uh, I I was doing some work with uh, when I was working for a fertilizer company. I came interested in iron, and I, the first time I thought about trying to do something with it. <laughs> I thought about the uh, Florida Gator football field, and I thought if I can make those dark green stripes darker green and make the lighter green stripes, you know, leave those alone, maybe I can artificially, you know, without paint um, and without burning it in with a mower, I can maybe create a little darker green stripe. So I went out in the Florida football field during the off season and tried to do it and didn't nothing, couldn't get anything to happen with granular iron. So that's kind of how that iron stuff started years and years ago. Was like well, it didn't work. Like that granular iron didn't do anything. What what's wrong with this thing? This something's this shouldn't um, shouldn't happen. Um, so let's continue. You want to see any difference on that side versus that side of the white stripe? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip through this. So here is our stripe. Okay, first of all, when you're when you're looking at color, you don't look into the sun. Okay, you look with the sun behind you. You're not gonna see many differences when you're looking into the sun. Don't see any difference at all? Once again, so 0 for two. Okay. It doesn't surprise me. Your, your lawn's super green. Okay, so at some point he sprays uh, foliar iron. Almost the max rate at a high iron concentration twice in this can be three or four days. And you really shouldn't be spraying ferrous sulfate anyway because it pretty much denatures as soon as it hits phosphorus. It locks it up. It's just not a soil grade product. Okay. What he's saying there is partially true. But it's it's not going to lock it up with phosphorus as near as readily as it will with dissolved oxygen in the water. Okay, so these people have these mis misunderstanding, and this is in. I'm going to show you in a second why why this is getting under my skin is because he clearly didn't understand or read my article that I wrote. The, yet, will iron bind with phosphorus? Of course, it'll bind with calcium. True. Um, I mean, it, uh, it'll bind with phosphorus. Uh, calcium. It'll it'll bind with um, with phosphorus. True, not with calcium. But the solubility of iron is dictated by its redox potential, which will tell you that in the presence of dissolved oxygen, which is essentially available in any soil of agronomic importance that has moisture in it, it will almost immediately oxidize by binding with oxygen it, long before it has a chance to bind with phosphorus. Okay. I don't know where these people get this information if they just I don't know. But it's it's a little it's it's not an, an insignificant point. And the reason for that is is that you'll see stains on on concrete light posts and on concrete driveways where there is no phosphorus that iron has bound with the oxygen that was dissolved in water. And you can test this by doing a study where in, a, in an anaerobic chamber where there is no oxygen in the water and the iron won't do anything. It'll, it, won't, it won't oxidize because there's no oxygen, there's no dissolved oxygen in the water. Okay, let me continue. Twice, that's a lot of iron. It's a lot of urea. Okay, I'm gonna skip a, to- Just a train wreck to not get any response out of it at all after double the max rate freshly made on half of that there's nothing there okay so i don't know i mean he talks about his rates and he talks about the, the, the product they put out i don't want to get into that right now i'll get into that in a future video if i need to um what i will say is uh, is that um i went through this and um uh, I don't remember exactly where he gets through, but he gets into he gets into something. Hang on, let me get, get to this point. I don't remember exactly the time the timestamps. DTA. That's gonna be. Good. Oh, here we go. 
solubility. This is what I want to talk about right here. Yo-yo all solubility of a nutrient. Foliar grades, ferrous sulfate, ferrous heptoglutinate. Not right, that's not right. Ferrous glucoheptinate, there we go. Ferrous gluconate, and then ferrous citrate. So these three chelations, ferrous citrate, ferrous glucoheptinate, that's the main one I was seeing, and ferrous gluconate. These sugar-based, sugar-based is what they're going to say. Chelations, the whole point of a chelation is to protect the solubility of a nutrient. And these chelations don't do that. Universal so when he said that, I thought, okay, well, I think he's talking about my study because I did some work with glucoheptinate and citrates. And so I was like, well, I think he's talking about my study. And he did say it's not, they're not really soil chelates. So I thought, well, maybe he's talking about my study for some reason. But then he's saying, don't apply foliar iron. It got me confused. These studies, there's no increased iron uptake in the soil. So spraying it on the top, your, your color's going to yo-yo all over the place. See, spraying it on the top is exactly what you want to do to avoid the dissolved oxygen that, it, that will um, greatly in, in, increase the, the oxidation of iron once it hits the soil. You're circumventing the soil oxidation process by applying it to the foliage. I would still argue that a large portion of that iron that goes on the foliage will result in a color change as a result of the oxidation turning the, the leaf a little darker color rather than the iron entering the leaf. I don't, I was never able to actually definitively show that, but I, I because the, because the color change is so rapid, four to six hours at say two to two to three or four pounds of iron per acre, you're going to see a rapid color change. I think it, it's not a metabolic process. I think it's just staining the leaf surface. Um, but when you're saying don't apply it to the leaf surface, that, that, I'm confused. And, and then he said he's doing something about glucoheptinate. And I'm like, well, that sounds like my study, but it's the opposite of what I said. As soon as that leaf blade is cut off, the iron's gone. As That's soon true. as it sheds, it's gone. Okay. If it rains and foliar uptake takes days. No, it doesn't. Okay. Foliar uptake takes about four to six hours, especially with nitrogen. 60% of the nitrogen will generally be taken up in the first six to seven hours. Okay, iron is the is same, whatever is applied to the foliage, the uptake is extremely rapid in the first six to seven hours, eight hours. Okay, it's after those first several hours that, that uptake declines. And, it's, and it, we don't know for sure yet, but the evidence is pretty strong in the case that the, the uptake is probably from micro fissures in the, in the cuticle of the leaf, not through the stomata. Okay, and the reason I say that is because there's been some work done when the stomata are closed at night and you still see uptake. It rains, gone. As soon as it hits soil, it's gone. That's true. I mean, when it hits the soil, it is going to oxidize. Ferrous sulfate especially is going to do damage. You know, it's going to lock up phosphorus. See, I don't, okay, I'm just going to move on. You'll get black layer. I stay here long enough, I'm going to be in therapy three times a week. Okay, guys? I mean, this is... This is <laughs> again, I just sprayed 50 years, over 50 years worth of iron on my lawn. I don't know what that means, but you can apply three to five pounds of iron per acre and see a response to that. And you can do that fairly regularly throughout the year. We want to be aware of what iron can do and the adverse consequences of iron if you're being silly with it, particularly on putting greens where the iron can actually move deeply into the soil. Um, but foliar applications of iron at three to five pounds or even lead one pound, one, say one to five pounds per acre, not per thousand. Um, we'll get you a color response. I've done, uh, and you can. I have, I'll show you a publication. I may end up skipping ahead of this stuff because it, it's it, and just going straight to iron as a topic rather than doing uh, f uh, fall fertility because it's got things got me irritated. 
Um, but <clears throat> I've done, I've published several of them. I've, I've, like I said, I don't know. Someone can go back and count 14, 15 studies. And almost all of those I've applied, I've used a foliar application of iron sulfate as, as a sort of a check. I have a control where I didn't do anything, but I also have foliar applied iron sulfate. And 100% of the time applied to Bermuda grass, applied to St. Augustine grass, we've seen a response 100% of the time, every application in every study. So for someone to say, you're not going to see a response to it or it's slow or whatever, what that tells me is either one, he didn't apply it at all, or two, he didn't apply it at the right rate. Okay. So is that the way to do it? No. And I got zero response. So obviously that's not the way. And I, and I can't deny your observation. I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know what you did. I don't know what you saw or didn't see. I can't, if you, you observe that great. I, I, I can't say you didn't observe that. I wasn't there. But what I can say, when I've controlled everything that I can reasonably control and applied the um, iron sulfate or iron glucoheptanate or iron citrate as foliar or iron EDDHA, anything as a foliar soluble iron source, we have seen a response 100% of the time when applied to foliage at the correct rate. The way to do it is a soil grade balanced chelated micronutrient. Absolutely not. Okay. I'm telling you, I'm going to have to call my therapist today to get back in today before I lose my cool here is that iron chelates apply to the soil. We have done studies with that. And occasionally you will see a response in the turf grass. You will see a response in terms of increased soluble iron for sure. But the response in the turf is what I care about. And occasionally we will see a response. The one time that I can tell you I saw a response was after 80 pounds of iron EDTA applied to Princess Bermuda. After the 80th pound of iron per acre, I finally saw a response as uh, when applied to EDTA in Florida on Princess Bermuda. Now, I'm not saying that's what you got to apply and you should apply that and don't do that. I'm, I'm saying don't don't do that. It might be against the law in many, many locations. We're doing this in research trying to figure out rates. Okay, but just because it's chelated and just because you applied it to the soil and just because it's the right chelate that you applied according to the right soil pH, it does not mean that you're going to see a turf grass response to that. It's just like taking Tylenol. Okay, you take one little molecule of Tylenol to cure your headache. It's not going to do anything. You have to take the right dosage and that's two, two pills or whatever the milligrams of Tylenol are for humans. Okay, and the same thing happens with iron chelates. One, the turf has to be susceptible to a turf grass response, meaning it has to be deficient in iron or to see a response in it. And two, the rate of the chelated iron has to be applied to the soil at the correct rate, at the correct time of year. Okay, or else you're not going to see a response to it. And it's very rare that I've seen a response to a, a chelate applied iron, chelated, a chelated iron applied to the soil. Okay, very rare. When I say chelated, I mean it actually protects the solubility of the nutrient. So EDTA, uh, DPTA, mm -hmm. HEDTA, and EDDHA. Yeah. Those are going to be your four chelations. Yeah, I don't have a problem with any of that. Okay, so I'm going to skip ahead. Okay, because I don't want to continue going down this road if he's going to come on and or counsel with me and I can help him out because I want to help this guy out. Okay, I'm trying to see where he finishes it up. I'm trying to help this guy out. But what 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 really got me was I was like, this guy's confused or something. And I, I was like, ah, eh, people are confused. Yeah, it's YouTube and people. He gets, he gets a little confused. He's a little bit off and no problem. That happens sometimes. But then I was trying. He said he said UF. 
I was like, well, let me go check uh, University of Florida. So it's like, well, let me see if what he's talking about. And I went into his description of his video. So I'm down here looking in the video and I go to right here, related article, Edis, da, 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 da. Okay. So I click on it and what comes up? Now, I have known Ironford floor turf grasses. I have known this author right here almost my entire life. Okay. T.W. Shaddix. And what I think has happened is the second sentence, iron applications can result in dark green turf grass, but may result in no turf grass response at all. I think what's happened is this gentleman has taken that sentence and assume that it means someone will have some it'll happen with this lawn maybe or it might not happen with that lawn or it might happen that's not what this is saying it's saying that iron applications might result in darker green grass if it's applied as a foliar if it's applied as a granular it's probably not at all that's what it's saying if you read the article it'll explain that to you okay and nowhere in here am i talking about and right right here the photograph Two paragraphs down says Bermuda grass showing response to foliar iron compared to granular iron or no iron. So all of these green rectangles are foliar iron, sir. Everything else was your key. I had iron EDTA in the study. You don't see a green square out here on iron EDTA. The, the non-treated, the iron EDTA, the iron uh, uh, humate, the iron sulfate, granular, all those granulars are all these other squares where you don't see a response. The green rectangles are the foliar response. This was 24 hours after the application on Princess Bermuda. In a, and you can tell from the, from the controls that it, it wasn't very green. It was susceptible to a turf grass greening. Now, if your lawn, which, by the way, looks immaculate, Okay, one of the best lawns I've probably I've ever seen. If it's already a nine on a green, you can't go to ten. Okay, it's as green as it's going to get. All right, so it, it doesn't mean the, the iron didn't do anything. It just means your your lawn's already so dang good. You don't need to do anything to it. It's not gonna you're not gonna go from a nine to a ten. Okay, or you didn't put the right rate in, or you didn't put anything. I don't even know what you what you did or didn't do. So I'm gonna. Leave it at that and say, when he, when I was like, eh, it was whatever it is. But when you're going to use my research to convince others using misinformation, that's when, that's when I'm going to have to say something about it. And you can see right here, it's real simple, guys. Right here is the precipitation of iron, the chemical reaction of iron with dissolved oxygen. Okay, without this little guy right here, water, dissolved oxygen, you're not going to have the precipitate of iron. You're not going to bind it out. It will, will it bind with phosphorus? Yes, but it's this is going to happen long before it ever gets in contact with phosphorus. So it's not a binding phosphorus thing or, or locking up with phosphorus or whatever. And does it happen? Of course it'll happen, you know. But that's not the driving factor. It's the it's the it's the oxygen dissolved in the water and the soil solution that is what's what that will render iron less available. When it comes to the iron, I'm going to go into detail on this now. Apparently, I'm going to get my articles out and start going through them. But just because it's chelated doesn't mean it's going to remain soluble. Even the most expensive, effective chelates, EDDHA, even that chelate, the iron in it will eventually become insoluble. And it doesn't take that long, a month, maybe, maybe a month and a half. Okay. 
It's not like, even, well, it's, 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 it's not susceptible to pH changes and it's going to remain uh, soluble even at very, very high pHs. All that's true, but it doesn't mean it's going to last forever. The, 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 the chelate will, the chelate's not going to go around and go anywhere. It's going to be there for a while, but the iron in that isn't going to just stay there. Okay. It's eventually going to oxidize out. It's going to be replaced with calcium or some other, it's going to be competed with some other cation somewhere. And the iron that was in there is no longer going to be soluble. Okay, it's not going to just be there forever. So just because it's a chelate doesn't mean you can just simply apply it to the soil and you're good. The foliar applications of iron consistently have shown a response following that application when it's applied at the right rate. Whereas granular applications of iron, I've only ever seen one response in my life after numerous studies, numerous locations, and it happened to be from EDTA applied at a very high rate to Princess Bermuda. Okay, so... I mean, uh, I didn't mean to get so animated, guys, but it, it is just uh, annoying to me that you're going to use my research. No, you're not going to do that. You're not you, that you may not do. You can be misinformed. You can you can say whatever you want to say and try to sell things on YouTube. That's you may do that, but you may not use my research to misinform the public. That's not going to happen. Right, I'm going to call you out on that. No, I'm sincere when I ask, when I tell this gentleman, I'm looking at you in the eye. <laughs> Please get a hold of me. I want to help you. Okay. I think you've simply been misinformed. I want to help you. Go to calendly.com slash Travis. set it up. I'll, I'll, you'll have to pay the 50 bucks. I'll pay you back. Okay. Or come on the channel and we'll have a conversation and you can explain what, what, what is, what has occurred. And I, and I want to help, you know, guide you through this process. So you understand exactly what's going on with iron. Okay. Um, I appreciate everybody coming in today. Sorry about that, but I'll uh, I'll give it a couple of days or a week and see if I can get a hold. If you guys know who this is, please let me know. I'll reach out to him and see if I can see if I can help him. I'm, I'm I want I want to help this person as well as anybody else who happened to might be you know a little off off on their understanding of the systems. Okay. Um, with that, I'm going to say uh, goodbye. I'll be back on Monday. We're still in the cool season realm for now. <laughs> Maybe that'll change my Monday. Um, the 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 articles going coming up on monday are going to be um let's see what i got here i got responses of cool season, or kentucky bluegrass to sprayable nitrogen fertilizer programs i got uh, above ground responses i got at least another four or five cool season uh, uh fall fertility papers to go through so all next week it'll probably be the same thing before we move on to another topic but who knows that might change between now and then <laughs> Okay, guys, I appreciate everybody's for showing up today. Oh, let's see if there's any any chat left here. Um, oh, there's a lot more chat. Um, oh, he's been called out on. Oh, Harper Explores. Check my comments in this in his comment section. Oh, okay, Harper. I so you've maybe mentioned it in his in his videos. What I understand from that. Okay. Well, it's fine. It's fine to be misunderstood. It's it's fine to not understand completely what you're talking about. I get that. Okay. You, you can do that, okay? But don't use the work that I've busted my ass for and, and worked hard to get out and publish as a means to misinform people. You, that you may not do. Um, new Spartech iron technology. My site, one rep, swears by it. I'm not entirely convinced. We used it this year, and I didn't notice a huge difference. So Owen says Spartech. I don't know about Spartech iron, Owen. I'm not sure about that. Um I, I can look into it, but at the end of the day, if it's a soluble iron source, the chances are extremely good if applied at the right rate that you would see a good response to it. Yeah. Whether or not it, the cost is relative to other, other iron sources soluble, I don't know. Now, if it's a granular iron source, I would be very skeptical. 
but it's soluble. You, you know, as long as it's soluble, you're pretty good to go. I mean, there's really not much concern I'd have with any soluble iron source other than the cost to achieve the response. I mean, that's the only the concern I would have. Um, oh, it also has bile salts, so it sounds like it's a granular. Yeah, any granular form of iron, I'd be extremely skeptical of. Only because I have never seen a response other than one that one with EDTA. So it just it's just not easy to see a response from granular applied iron. Uh, appreciate it, Gray. Thanks for the comments. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. So Randy, the oh, <laughs> turf truth is in action. No, <laughs> we need more of these. Well, I'm trying I'm trying to be truthful, but I'm not turf truth. Sorry to miss. Sorry, I don't want to misinform you. So um anyway thanks guys thanks for the time doc I appreciate everybody for showing up today i'll be back on monday 10 o'clock everybody have a great weekend I'll, I'll see you on monday thanks guys appreciate it bye